wants to see more information about that. So, all right. So if you have your Bibles, we also want to welcome all of those watching online tonight. Make sure you grab your Bible. Um, it's important as we're going through the passage, you want to see that for yourself. You definitely don't want to be looking at me the whole time. So welcome you as well online. So this evening, we will be in Genesis chapter 7 and 8. So yes, wow, that's what I said too. I said, wow. I teach a Bible study on Tuesday mornings, and we do about one to two verses in 40 minutes. So when Dave Barnes says two chapters, I'm like, wow, Dave. Whew. We don't have much time. We've got to get into it, right? But it's going to be exciting um, tonight as we take a look at the flood, right? The flood. Last week, Pastor Dave brought us kind of right up to the cliff, I'll just say, right? And he kind of left us hanging there. I'm not sure why he did that, but I guess the end of the chapter. But he left us right there, right? The building of the ark. He talked about mercy and judgment. And it was interesting. One of his points last week, we're going to have it on the screen. So if this looks familiar, this was from Pastor Dave last week. And a very interesting because I didn't really know what he was going to say. And I already had the title picked out for tonight. But the title for this evening is called God's Salvation plan. God's salvation plan. So Pastor Dave's point really worked out, led us right into tonight. So just excited uh, for what God has for us tonight. So as we start out tonight, we just kind of have to ask ourselves as we're looking at this text, the question is, what brought humanity to such a dark place that God was deeply grieved that he ever created human being. Last week, Pastor Dave talked about that, but I want to just put it on the screen for you. It's in Genesis 6, 5. And it says, the Lord observed the extent of human wickedness on the earth. And he saw that everything they thought or imagined was consistently and totally evil. That's pretty intense. We think it's bad today. Can you imagine what it was like back then? Everything was consistently and totally evil. And because of this wickedness of the people, God could no longer allow this to continue in the world, and he decided to destroy mankind and the earth. This was judgment for rebellion against a holy God. See, people can only rebel against God for so long before judgment comes. And if you remember last week, Pastor Dave actually took us some passages in Peter that talked about that judgment. We'll look at that a little bit tonight. But there is a judgment coming for the wickedness that we see in the world today. Sometimes we may think that people are getting away with things. But that's not so. No one will be exempt from the great white throne judgment found in Revelation 20, where those who do not believe in Jesus Christ will be judged according to their works and cast into the lake of fire where they will be separated from God forever. There is a judgment coming. But there's also hope in this world. And I'd like to think every one of us have this hope. And his name is Jesus Christ. 
And those who put their faith and their trust in him will never face that judgment because they put their faith and their trust in Jesus Christ. The beautiful thing we see in our passage this evening is the grace of God for a righteous man. And we already know his name. It's Noah. He was a righteous man. See, no matter how dark things may look, God always maintains a remnant for himself. We see that over and over again in the scriptures. Men and women who will stand up for godly principles. And that's what we should be, men and women, who are willing to stand firm. Like Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. Right? They took a stand for their God when everyone else was bowing down to the golden image. If you're taking notes tonight, what we do encourage so that you can retain the first point we have is a righteous person will not compromise the word of God. A righteous person will not compromise the word of God. Church, in today's culture, we must be men and women who have a deep conviction for God's word. If God's word says it, the decision is settled. There is no need for us to be debating about godly principles. Because when God speaks it and it's in this word, it is absolutely settled. See, a righteous person will never, under any circumstances, go along with the wickedness in the world. Like Noah did not go along with the wickedness, but he stood up and was a righteous man because they desired to be obedient to God. And Noah was that man in this time of history we are reading about tonight. There's an interesting passage in 2 Peter that refers to Noah as a preacher of righteousness. As Peter was warning about the false prophets and teachers of his day, he said in 2 Peter 2.9, we'll get to 2.5 in just a moment, it says, the Lord knows how to rescue godly people from their trials, even while keeping the wicked under punishment until the day of final judgment. And then Peter refers to the flood that we are reading about this evening as an example of how God protects the righteous. We'll have that on the screen for you. It's 2 Peter 2, 5. It says, and if he didn't spare the ancient world, but God protected Noah, a preacher of righteousness, and seven others, when he brought the flood on the world of the ungodly. And if that looks familiar, it is. Pastor Dave actually had that on screen as well last week. Sometimes we know that the Spirit of God is working, as I was watching last week and listening to Pastor Dave, and just how everything entwined together. It's just amazing because that's how the Spirit of God works. He's working together all things. See, God protects and hears the cries of his righteous people. There are many scriptures in the Bible that talk about that, but I just want to give you a couple this evening as a word 
of encouragement. It says, the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. And listen, his ears are attentive to their cry. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and he is listening. He's attentive to our cry. And Psalm 34, 17 says, the righteous cry out. The righteous. They cry out, and the Lord hears, and he delivers them out of all of their troubles. That should be a word of encouragement. He delivers the righteous out of all their troubles. We may not understand why we are in a trial, but God is always faithful. He is always faithful, and he will deliver us out of the trial. We may not be delivered the way we think it should happen. Right? Many times we have the way that we think this is going to work out. But God's ways are not our ways. Many times in my life, God did not answer the prayer the way I expected. But he always provided the way out. So last week we talked about Noah preparing the ark for the impending flood. Right? The judgment that was coming on the earth to destroy mankind. Now, many of us know the story of Noah and the flood, especially if you've been around church any length of time, you've heard the story. But tonight, instead of focusing on the judgment, I want us to see the salvation of God through this passage the salvation of God. All right, so you're ready. Genesis 7. Some of you are wondering, are we going to get there? We're there. Genesis 7. Verse 1. The Lord said to Noah, go into the ark, you and your family, because I have found you righteous in this generation. Now, what we see here, the word go is a very interesting word. It can also be translated Enter or come into the ark. So here we see an invitation of God for salvation from the flood. He is inviting them, come into this ark and you will receive salvation. And notice, this wasn't just for Noah. It was also for his family. See, every detail we see in Scripture, we want to take note of that and see that. In the New Testament, when the Philippian jailer asked Paul and Silas, what must I do to be saved? We'll have it on the screen for you. It's Acts 16, 31. It says, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved along with everyone in your household. Now, when we read that, we do have to remember that everyone must personally make that decision for Jesus Christ. But everyone in your family and everyone in my family has the invitation of salvation. This is where I want to encourage you a little bit. As a mom, a dad, a single parent, maybe blended family, we have the greatest gift in all the world. We have the gift of salvation. Let's make sure we are sharing 
that gift that we have received with our family. Now, some people think that it's the church's responsibility. But let me encourage you as a parent, a grandparent, it's our responsibility to share the good news with our children and our grandchildren. It is our responsibility. The church is there to help, to support, but as the parent and the grandparent, we should be the one sharing the good news with our children. The last verse of chapter six says that Noah prepared the ark according to the commands of God. Noah was obedient to the Lord, but now he had to take another step of faith. He and his family had to accept the invitation of salvation by entering the ark. Now, it may sound kind of strange after all that time preparing the ark, but if they had not entered the ark, there would be no salvation. See, the same is true for us today. If we do not enter into a relationship with Jesus, there is no redemption for our sins, and we remain separated from God. Verse 2, take with you seven pairs of every kind of clean animal, a male and its mate, and one pair of every kind of unclean animal, a male and its mate, and also seven pairs of every kind of bird, male and female, to keep their various kinds alive throughout the earth. Now, the Bible's not clear on why Noah's commanded to take seven pairs. I wish I had something I could say. Here's the significance to that. The Bible really doesn't say, so I don't want to read into that in any way. But the one thing we do know is that after the flood, Noah built an altar to the Lord, and clean animals were required to sacrifice on the altar. And also, these animals would be required to multiply on the earth. So there would be more than one pair needed. Verse 4. Seven days from now, I will send rain on the earth for 40 days and 40 nights. And I will wipe from the face of the earth every living creature I have made. So from this point, we see Noah has seven days to gather his wife his three sons, their wives, and all the animals in the ark. Okay, we just read that. Seven days, so this is the warning. This is the timeline. Now, that may seem like a lot to accomplish in seven days. Like, maybe just getting the family in there, that, that's enough. But we're talking about all the animals, all the species. But nothing is impossible with God. Right? When God calls us to do something for him, no matter how big or how small, he will give us the provision to do it. Whatever he's calling you to, he will provide the way. And this could be a, just a word for some of you this evening as I was just praying before tonight that God is calling some of you for a specific thing. And something, maybe it's fear, pride, 
or shame is holding you back. I just really want to encourage you this evening to remember that God is faithful and he will provide all you need to accomplish it. I do believe that is a word for some of us tonight. God will provide everything we need to accomplish what he's asked us to do. Verse 5. And Noah did all that the Lord commanded him. Even though Noah did not understand how it was going to work out, he was completely obedient to the commands of the Lord. See, we're reading this story, right? And I would say every one of us probably already knows how it ends. Right? It's pretty easy to read something when you already know what the end is. But remember, Noah didn't know what was going to happen. He's been building this ark, putting it together, moment by moment, all this time going by. And this was his everyday life taking one step of faith at a time. Now, can, can you imagine for a moment, I just want you to humor me for just a minute. God says you're to take seven family members and all the animals and go into this ark. Now, I don't know about you, but that does not sound like something I really want to do. All these animals are going to go into the ark. I mean, you think about it. We all got to eat. We all got to use the restroom. That does not sound like much fun to me. But Noah was obedient to the call. God didn't ask me, and he didn't ask you, to build an ark. But what he does command us is to be the hands and the feet of Jesus. That he commands us to do. And anything he asks us to do, he will supernaturally equip us to accomplish it. Verse 6. It's kind of funny. Just <laughs> Noah was 600 years old. Old. You know, we read this, but just kind of think about that. You know, we might be 90 years old and we think 600 years old. Okay, maybe that was just for me. <laughs> when the floodwaters came on the earth. But keep in mind, 600. We're going to kind of come back to that. And Noah and his sons and his wife and his son's wife entered the ark to escape the waters of the flood. Pairs of clean and unclean animals, of birds and of all creatures that move Along the ground, verse 9, male and female, came to Noah and entered the ark, as God commanded Noah. And after seven days, the floodwaters came on the earth, right? just as God predicted. Now, notice in verse 9, the animals came to Noah. Right? He did not have to go out and coerce all the animals, right, to get them to come in two by twos. And notice, too, it's like, oh, wait a minute, wait a minute, got two males, not going to work. Need to go get a female, right? No, that's not how it worked. God brought the animals in order, in pairs, right up, because everything in this earth is subject to God. Noah just had to be obedient. 
He didn't have to go and figure all those things out. Do I have the right male hair? No, no, no. God just brought all of them. See, all creatures came orderly in pairs. And I was thinking about this because everything is subject to God. And kind of a funny story, ask Balaam in Numbers 22. God opens the mouth of a donkey to speak to him. See, God's ways, they are not our ways. And God has unlimited power. So I have no problem thinking that God can just bring all of the animals in two by twos. No problem with that. Verse 11, in the 600th year of Noah's life, on the 17th day of the second month, on that day, all the springs of the great deep burst forth, the floodgates of the heavens were opened, and rain fell on the earth 40 days and 40 nights. Now, as we look at the next few verses, I just want to just bring something to your attention or just remind you that the Bible is not always in sequential order. So sometimes what we read after a passage is just giving us more details of the prior passage. Because if you continue reading, you're thinking, we're reading the same thing again, and it's not making sense. So I just wanted to bring that forth. So verses 13 through 16 are a repeat of what we read, but I just want to point out two things. Verse 13, we see that Noah's, the names of Noah's sons were added, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And verse 16 concludes with the words, then the Lord shut him in. Okay, just keep in mind, we're going to circle around back to that. See, Noah had been completely obedient to the Lord. The Bible says that he did all, everything that the Lord commanded him. So all the animals, Noah, his entire family were now safely on the ark that would bring them salvation from the flood. Now a key point here. Noah's obedience to God in building the ark reveals that he had faith in God to preserve him and his family through the flood. Noah's faith was not in the ark, but in his God. The ark was just the vessel that God used to provide for their deliverance. And I bring that up because I think if we're not careful, sometimes we can put our trust in the things of this world to deliver us out of the trial rather than putting our faith and our trust in God. We have to be careful because sometimes we try to get involved to make things happen. And let's just face it, many times we can do that. But we want to put our faith and trust alone in God. We'll have that as a point on the screen for you. Trust in God alone to deliver you from your trial. See, God only has one plan. We're the ones that come up with plan B, plan C. Abraham and Sarah, right? Come up with their own plan instead of waiting on God. Just, we want to just trust in God alone. Now that Noah did his part, he did everything that God commanded him, the Lord did what only he could do 
Don't miss this. Verse 16 says, he sealed the door shut. I was thinking about this. I wonder if Noah ever thought in his mind, who's going to close that door? Just wondering. I don't know. Who's going to close the door? See, the only way to salvation was through the door of the ark. Right? We know that. The door had to be open. And I wonder when it started raining, the water started coming up. How many people who heard the judgment is coming realized, uh-oh, let me knock on that door and see if I can get in. Unfortunately, it was too late. It was too late to get on the ark. See, the only way to salvation for us as well is the door of Jesus Christ. I have it on the screen for you. It says Jesus saying, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and he will go in and out and find pasture. See, Jesus is the only door to salvation. 2 Peter 3, 9, again, Pastor Dave talked about this. He went to the scripture, says that the Lord is long-suffering toward us, right? Not willing that any should perish. See, his desire and his will is that all people would come to repentance. Yet the next verse in Peter says, but the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. See, there is a day coming. People are going about eating and marrying and drinking, but the day of the Lord will come and the door will be shut and it will be too late to come to Christ at that point. Because today, church, today is the day of salvation. All right, let's skip down to verse 17. It says, For 40 days the flood kept coming on the earth. And as the waters increased, they lifted the ark high above the earth. The waters rose and increased greatly on the earth. And the ark floated on the surface of the waters. Verse 19. They rose greatly on the earth in all the high mountains under the entire heavens were covered. The waters rose and covered the mountains to a depth of more than 15 cubits. If you're wondering what that is, that's about 22 feet. Verse 21, everything that moved on land perished. Birds, livestock, wild animals, all the creatures that swarm over the earth and all mankind. Everything on dry Land that had the breath of life in its nostrils died. Everything on the face of the earth was wiped out. People and animals and the creatures that move along the ground and the birds were wiped from the earth. Only Noah was left and those with him on the ark. The waters flooded the earth 
for 150 days. In these verses that we just read, we see the fulfillment of what God said would happen from verse 4, that he would wipe from the face of the earth every living creature. Now, the question that comes up sometimes, people like to ask, was this a global or a localized flood? Okay, well, I'll give you a couple of things to think about. A localized flood would not have destroyed every living thing that had breath. And why would Noah need to take animals into the ark to procreate if it was a localized flood? Now, if we have more time, there's many more things. But, and let me just give you a little perspective. Is this I learned, I had no clue, but the tallest peak in the region is located on Mount Ararat, which is about 17,000 feet high. Or let me put it in perspective, because I'm still not getting what that is. That's three miles high. That's how high the floodwaters were, three miles high. And the passage says the floodwaters were like 22 feet above that. So that just gives you that perspective of how much water was on the earth. So this would be a global flood that wiped out every human being that lived up to this time except Noah and his family because they were in the ark of salvation. The ark was their salvation. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord because he was a righteous man. He was obedient to all the commands of the Lord. Now, when we think about this, it might sound a little bit harsh, but we must remember why God sent the flood of judgment. He saw, we read the scripture, that everything the people thought, right, and imagined, everything was constantly and totally evil. He had to destroy the evil that was in the world. All right, chapter 8. You ready? Got a lot to cover still. All right. But God remembered Noah and all the wild animals and the livestock that were with him in the ark. And he sent a wind. Catch that word. We're going to come back to that. Over the earth. And the waters receded. Now the springs of the deep and the floodgates of the heavens had been closed and rain had stopped falling from the sky. The water receded steadily from the earth. At the end of 150 days, the water had gone down. So keep in mind, the flood was 150 days and the receding of the water was, we're reading, 150 days plus more. I'm going to quiz you on that in a few minutes, right? 
And on the 17th day of the seventh month, the ark came to rest on the mountains of Ararat. Verse 5. The waters continued to recede until the 10th month. On the first day of the month, the tops of the mountains became visible. So what we see here in verse 1, it says that God remembered Noah. What a beautiful thing. The Bible doesn't say, but I would imagine Noah probably got a little weary from floating around and wondering, are we going to survive this storm? 150 days of just floating around. There's no opening. We don't know what's going on. When is this going to come to an end? That's a long time to be just floating around. Wondering, Lord, are you there? What's going on? It's a long time. And God remembering Noah doesn't mean that he ever forgot Noah. Keep that in mind, right? God knows everything. But it just means that at God's perfect timing, he would provide their deliverance. It was his perfect timing to deliver them. And church, he does the same thing for you and for me. God knows exactly where we are in a trial, and his timing is always perfect. We'll have a point for you on the screen. The timing of God's deliverance is always perfect. See, our problem, though, is our timing is usually not in agreement with God's timing. It's waiting for an amen there, right? We're usually waiting for God. To work on our behalf. That's why Peter would say, take your cares and cast them upon God because he cares for you. Isaiah would put it like this. He says, God has inscribed you on the palms of his hands. You see, God is into every detail of our life. And we never forget that. Every single detail, God is involved in our life. God commanded the underground springs of water to stop flowing and the rain to stop coming down, and he sent a wind to recede the waters. Now, for those of you who like word studies, you'll find this interesting. At least I did. The Hebrew word for wind can also be translated spirit. So you say, okay, that's cool. What is but what does that mean? It's the same Hebrew word that was used in Genesis, just hang with me a minute, 1 2, to describe the spirit hovering over the face of the waters before the land was visible. It was the same spirit. It was the same wind that was hovering. Is the same spirit that God sent over the earth to recede the waters after the flood. Just intriguing for those of you who like word studies. And this just reminds us, God is in complete control of our universe. Remember when the disciples were in a storm on the sea? Jesus rebuked the wind, and he said to the sea, peace be still. And the water 
and the wind ceased. Because God is in control of our universe. No matter how things may look in the world, God is sovereign. And may we never forget he's working all things together for good. As Romans 8.28 reminds us. See, once the floodwaters had receded, the ark rested firmly as God would have it on Mount Ararat. In verses 6 through 12, Noah opens the window of the ark to release a dove to see if it was possible to find food on the earth. The first attempt was unsuccessful. So Noah waits seven days, continuing. You see Noah waiting, waiting. It's a word for some of us, right? Waiting. He waited another seven days to send out. This time the dove returns. I'm sure this must have been a beautiful picture to Noah. He brings an olive leaf in its beak, signifying that the waters are finally receding and their freedom was soon coming. Amen? The freedom was soon coming. Verse 13. By the first day of the first month of Noah's 601st year, keep that in mind, the water had dried up from the earth. Noah then removed the covering from the ark and saw that the surface of the ground was dry. By the 27th day of the second month, the earth was completely dry. So how long was Noah and his family in the ark? So we'll go back. We'll do a little bit of research. We read in chapter 7 that Noah was in the ark on the 17th day, second month of his 600th year. And he left on the 27th day of the second month, so the same month of the following year, 601. We see that in chapter 8, verse 14. Therefore, we're going to just take a moment and just assume that we're a lunar calendar here of 360 days. Noah was on the ark approximately, we don't know 100% exact, but 370 days on the ark. I didn't know that myself. As I was studying, I was just like, wow. That was a long time to be on the ark. See, Noah and his family were in a significant trial for just about a year. I think sometimes for us, we've been in a trial for about seven days, and we're wondering, what is taking God so long? Can you really imagine? In the ark for a year. But now, they're about to receive the greatest news ever, deliverance from the flood. They are about to step out of the ark and receive their salvation. Verse 15, then God said to Noah, come out of the ark, you and your wife and your sons and their wives. It would have been easy for Noah to get ahead of God's will and his perfect timing. They were on the ark for about a year. The ground appears to be dry, the olive branches coming. Yet, 
Don't miss this. Noah waits for a word from the Lord before leaving the ark. He waited for the Lord. And I wonder how many times do we get ahead of God's will instead of patiently waiting for him to instruct us when to move. I think many times we can get ahead of God. I just see Noah, after all this time in the ark, he still waited for the command of the Lord. In verses 17 through 19, God directs Noah to bring out the birds, the livestock, the creatures that move on the ground. I don't know, when I think of that, it seems a little creepy, but creeping on the earth, right? And his family, so they can multiply and be fruitful on the earth. And again, we see that Noah did just as the Lord commanded him. We see that over and over again. He did as the Lord commanded him. For the sake of a righteous man, Noah, God did not destroy the earth and all mankind, but instead he preserved it until the work of the church could be completed. He preserved this earth until his work would be completed. And you may say, well, what's that work? What is the work that we are to do? Do you remember when Jesus was leaving, he was preparing his disciples for ministry. In Matthew 28, 19, he says, go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, right? Baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And teaching them, that's the key, teaching them all things that I have commanded you. See, church, we all have a responsibility to share the good news of Jesus Christ and to disciple them in the principles of the Bible. When God said to multiply and be fruitful, this also refers to our spiritual lives. See, we, as followers of Christ, are to reproduce followers of Jesus Christ. That's what God desires for us to do, the command that he gave. To bring people to Jesus and disciple them, reproducing ourselves. Let's skip down to verse 20. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord, and taking some of all the clean animals and clean birds, he sacrificed burnt offerings on it. 21. The Lord smelled the pleasing aroma and said in his heart, never again will I curse the ground because of humans, even though every inclination of the human heart is evil from childhood. And never again will I destroy all living creatures as I have done. So here we see that God says in his heart, I will never do this again. And next week, we'll talk a little bit about God giving us the rainbow. But that's for next week. Yeah. So, but the key that we see here, the first thing Noah did after leaving the ark was an act of worship. See, he worshiped his God for the deliverance. See, he responded to God's saving grace by building an altar 
He was giving God all the glory for the victory. So this is the first time in the Bible an altar was built for a burnt offering to the Lord. This is the first time that we see that. So our last point tonight, worshiping God is our first response after a victory. Worshiping God should be the first thing that we do when God delivers us from a trial. And how do we worship God? I don't think anybody here probably has an altar in the backyard, right? We no longer have to go out and sacrifice animals, praise the Lord. But instead, we worship God with a sacrifice of praise called the fruit of our lips. Hebrews 13, 15, I'll read it to you. It says, therefore, by him, let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. So I just want to encourage you. When God steps in and delivers you out of the trial to immediately stop and worship him and give him all the glory. So we're going to do that together as we close the service this evening. So I'm just going to ask everybody if you want to just put your Bibles down. I know we don't normally do this, but we're just going to stand up. And we are going to read a passage together in Scripture in reverence for our God. We are going to honor him together with the fruit of our lips. A lot of the psalms were sung. We don't need to sing it. But we're going to read this together. They'll have it on the screen. It's actually Psalm 150. So we will do our best. But remember, we're just worshiping our God. So even if we're not in unity, it's okay. God is honored. Ready? Praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heavens. Praise him for his acts of power. Praise him for his surpassing greatness. Praise him for the sounding of the trumpet. Praise him for the harp and lyre. Praise him with a timbrel and dancing. Praise him with the strings and pipe. Praise him with a clash of cymbals. Praise him with the resounding cymbals. Let everything that have breath praise the Lord. Amen. Praise the Lord. We praise him for every victory. And we praise him for our salvation, right? Because he's called us, may we never forget, out of the darkness, and he's called us into his marvelous light. We can praise the Lord for that. And as we close tonight, I just want to just say, if you're not ready for your day of salvation please come forward and talk to me. You do not want to be that one that's knocking on the door that's closed. Because we know there is a day coming. As a thief in the night, the Lord says, the day is coming when it will be too late to accept the Lord. So please do not delay in your coming. So as we just close out in prayer, 
It's just a wonderful time of just praising God. Let's just lift up our hands and just pray and just receive from the Lord. Yes, Father God, we just come to the throne of grace and mercy. We thank you, God, for your goodness. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you, Lord, that you have called us out of the darkness into your marvelous light. God, that you are faithful to us. You never leave us nor forsake us. We thank you for every victory that you give us. God, nothing is impossible with you. And we thank you, God, that you provide for every need that we have. And Lord, we love you. We praise you. The Lord bless you and keep you tonight. The Lord may his face shine upon you, be gracious to you, lift his countenance upon you, and give you peace. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Have a great night. God bless you all.